I was talking about it uh, uh, with the guys at Hidden Falls. Uh, even though I work there, I still have to go through the process of management and, and how this, uh, you know, yeah, we're going to have a service there. Yes, they're going to do me a deal and all that thing because I work there, but I still have to have everything approved and have to go through all the bells and whistles for that just to make sure that we're all on the same page. And, and uh, as I was there and we're like, well, what time? I said, well, we're going to do a 10 o'clock service. They're like, okay, uh, and what time is the economic? It's going to be 11 o'clock. And, and he's like, you're going to be done like in an hour. And I was like, well, I'm hoping. Like, yeah, I'm giving myself a time, so we are. I said, you know, and, uh, uh, and I said, you know, my, most of my stuff, uh, I said, when we come here, we're usually here at 10 and out by noon. He goes, I hope so. That's two hours. I was like, Brian, Brian, I'm a Pentecostal. We could be here till 2. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Like, it was just automatically assumed Pentecostal, oh, my bad. My bad. That thing could go on all day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so true. I saw the comedian one time talking about it. He's like, what? It's three o'clock. We're on the fifth offering. What's going on here? Yeah. Like, welcome to Pentecost. Welcome to how we operate. Yeah. We'll, we'll bleed your bank dry. We get excited. We want to scream and yell all day. Uh, I always liken it like uh, when you go to a football game and you see everybody else that is totally into it as fans and they look totally normal. And then y'all know those guys that always make the TV, right? The guy dressed in like solid blue. He's li- it's 30 below and he's, he doesn't have a shirt on and he is painted completely blue. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And he's like defense and they're like zoning in on him. Like, and everybody's like, that dude's nuts. Welcome to the Pentecostals. That's who they are. Those guys are nuts. They, it's not that they don't enjoy, the, the others don't enjoy the game, but this guy really, really loves this. And that's how I always equate, when, like when I'm talking to my Baptist, Methodist, or Episcopalian friends, any of my other friends with uh, different churches, I was like, that's just us. I get it. You love the game too. Just maybe not as much as us. That's all right. You know, like we, we're just a little over the top. We're a little bit obsessive when it comes to worshiping and practicing the things that the Lord has called to. It's a little bit, it's kind of a big deal to us. You know, it's the thing we revolve our life around. Right. Uh, uh, so that's just kind of how it is. And, and uh, I don't, I don't need, I don't apologize ever for that. Like, yeah, I'm proud to call that guy that's totally there in 30 below with half his clothes on Pentecostal with me like the rest of, you know, like I might not do that, but that's my guy. That's just my guy. I like that guy. That's how I feel Pentecost works. Man, well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm still on the power, uh, t- talking about powerful prayer. Uh, I tell you, I'm not going to lie. It's probably going to be a, a hard sermon for me because uh, of just some of the nature of what we're going to talk about. Uh, but I think this has been a powerful series and definitely one that's close to my heart. Uh, anybody that knows me knows that uh, I, I'm going to talk about prayer all the time. Pastor Robert called me a while back and we were talking about it. And uh, y'all don't know Pastor Robert, but you will eventually get to meet him. We'll, we'll have him come out and preach sometime. And, and uh, he's taking a new church, and so he calls me every once in a while for a little advice or something. And, and we'll just talk or sometimes just about life things. And, and uh, one of the things he said to me the other day made me feel good. He goes, well, that's the one thing I took away from you when we were working together. He says, man, your prayer life was always something I wanted to emulate, And uh, which you know, I didn't even know he noticed. It's not like I carried him to prayer and showed him or anything like that. But it was something that's dear to my heart. If you're around me long enough, you know that I value prayer. I value prayer. Uh, prayer is the one thing that is, uh, I found to be uh, my foundation in Christianity. Uh, when I taught students, I taught them three things. What was the number one thing? Pray. Pray. Yeah. The second thing is read your Bible. The third thing was evangelism. Evan- evangelism was never number one on the list because your evangelism is not ever going to be good if you don't know the Lord and talk to him on a regular basis and you don't know the words he's already written. 
You know how many people want a word from God, but have never even read the words that he's already written? God's like, I got a whole book full of revelation for you. You ought to read it. What's irony is I see so many people like reading regular books and they're like, oh man, this book was so good. It was enlightening, which is great. But I'm telling you, right, you know where they got that great stuff from? The Bible. It's totally there. You know what's even funner than reading a book where somebody else has discovered gold? When you get to discover gold. That's what's, it's even better. It's even better when God gives you a rhema word that you go, wow, that's, that's life changing. That's life changing. And it's a neat process. You don't have to be called to ministry to have a revelation from God. But I'm telling you right now, it's going to be hard if you're not a praying person. So I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy that I'm going to talk about today. His name is Kevin Peterson. All right. He didn't write a book. Uh, he never pastored a church. Um, he was just a regular guy. Uh, he had a wife, a couple of kids, normal life. He was active in church up in the Metroplex. And... Um, and basically was living this happy, normal, spirit-filled life, you know, this God-centered life, until one day uh, God birthed something inside of him. And uh, God gave Kevin a vision uh, for restoring the church back into the house of prayer. And God gave his, this vision also included uniting the churches, bringing altar, not just the church where he was just serving in as a person sitting in the pew. God had called him from the pew, pew into this area where he wanted to help his church rise up to become the house of prayer. God had placed his calling on him, and it was bigger than just that. He wanted to do this. God had placed this passion on him, this burden on him to bring this all together into multiple Churches now, Kevin. He had no idea how this is going to happen. It's like most of us when God calls us. Like I don't, it's all all dreams sound great until you have to put them into action, right? One day I'm going to own a business. Uh huh. Yeah. There's a lot of difficulty standing in the way of every vision, and those who are able or are willing to face those things are the ones that find success in those things, right? So he had this vision, but he had no idea how he was going to accomplish it. So he. First thing he did, same thing everybody does when God gives somebody a vision. He went to his pastor. He began to explain to him what God had called him to do. And, and the pastor was excited. He tried to help Kevin the best he could. He empowered him to start this right there in the church. And so Kevin began to leave a, a, a prayer group right in his own church. And he recruited people into prayer on a constant basis. He was doing this all the time. However, he didn't know that this vision was bigger than his own church. And even though this thing began to grow in his own church and his his pastor said, I tell you what, I'll introduce you to some guys. And he was an Assemblies of God guy. And he says, I'll introduce you to some guys at the district. I think you're on to something. And so they introduced him to some of the guys at the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God. And he went there. He told them what God had called him to do and what his vision was that God had given him. And while they said they couldn't pay him to go around and kind of rebirth this act of prayer, they gave them their full endorsement. They said, well, hey, we will give a position title for you. So this will help you, because um, if we say that you have an office or a title with the North Texas Assemblies, this will give you access, at least, when people are, you're trying to call people and say, hey, let me come talk to your church and let me do these things. This will give you an opportunity to get in there and preach and, and tell people what you're trying to do. And so, and so the, eventually the, it would come the day where I basically uh, this is how he started, right? This is how it began for him. He began going from church to church, and this is where I met him. Right. He came in on one Sunday morning and he just laid the hammer down. Now, he was there all week. 
right? And so I showed him the hill country. I got a lot of time to spend with him. I took him on a tour. We ate out at, uh, uh, I think, at Cooper's in Lano, and we spent some time together. It was a really cool deal. But when he came in on Sunday, he just laid the hammer down, right? You know what I'm talking about when the preacher just comes in and just beats you up on your sins and and just calls out your life, you know, and you just, uh, he just hit, he just beat it down. And it was powerful and inspiring. It, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, when I took him to lunch and I'd spend that whole next day, I began to ask questions and I began to just listen to his heart. And I'll, I'll, I'll um, never forget telling him that I thought, man, oh my gosh, I think he's on the right track. I'm, I was so convinced, um, but I also told him that I think God gave him the hardest ministry. Like, this is what you're about to do and what you're trying to do. Like, I almost like was cynical, like, good luck. Good luck. Like, no pastor wants to deal with the prayer, uh, prayer, you know, prayer time we have. Nobody, the prayer service is like the hardest service to deal with because it's the least popular service of the church. So I was like, man, you've you got the hardest ministry. Like, you might as well just be like Paul here. Like the, the ministry of suffering, good job there, Kevin. This is what God has given you, the ministry of suffering, right? Uh, uh, and I told him that the person that can restore prayer in the house of God and make it the central priority just might be the person that brings about revival and literal global sweeping change. I mean, because I, I honestly believe that with all my heart. I think that the, uh, one of the things Leonard Ravenhill once said, he says, man, if a person, like one day there's a kid that's going to come, he's going to read the Bible, take it at face value, and we're all going to be embarrassed because of it. And so I believe that. I really wholeheartedly believe somebody's going to come along, take God at his word, and we're all going to be embarrassed that we don't. Because we're going to see that, that being fulfilled in their life. And here I'm looking at Kevin. I'm listening to the things God's calling him. And God has called him basically to the ministry of revival. How does every revival start? Historically, all revival started in prayer. How did the wall get built? Nehemiah prayed. How did, how did, you start looking, go, go look at all the times where God's rescued somebody. How many times do you think Joseph prayed before he ended up there over the, over the, uh, as a prince of Egypt? How many times did Moses pray? I mean, start looking at all prayer all throughout the Bible. You'll, that's where you'll start to see the link between victory and prayer. Now, time would go by, and I'd keep up with Kevin I, you know, on Facebook and things to see how his ministry was doing. I remember praying for him all the time because I, I just loved his zeal. And I thought, man, is he on to something? If he can just do it. If he can do it. And you ever met just somebody where you're just so inspired by them? I just felt like he was like a man of zeal and a man of faith. He was a real visionary. He wasn't trying the easy way. No, man, he was going after the hardest ministry in the church. This guy wasn't raised up as far as like he wasn't a guy who... Uh, had a pastoral uh, family or, or anything like that where he got to be raised up in it and could just like have all these connections and networks. Now, this guy's beating the phone down, begging pastors, please give me like 20 minutes of your pulpit time so I can, uh, uh, I want to lead this global network of prayer and I want to bring all churches back underneath the banner of the house of prayer. Like, that's so hard. It's so difficult. He's, so I just, I just admired him. I, I, I thought, man, what a man of God. What a man of God. A lot of people would say no as soon as those doors would start to shut. Because I promise you, he faced sh sh shut doors. A lot of people would, would just say no. You know, I've heard many preachers say that the prayer is the Cinderella ministry. She's, she's, she's the most unliked and unfavorable, but the most beautiful. Why? Because it's prayer that we touch the heart of God. It's through prayer that we do. It's in prayer that we communicate. With God. It's in prayer that we're transformed and conformed into the likeness of Jesus. And Kevin saw this. 
he could see it as plain as we see each other, and that made him dangerous. Made him dangerous. Kevin knew that if people began to pray, that they would be changed into the likeness of Jesus. And he knew that was our purpose. And he was just trying to get us back on that track, right? Purpose is defined by Webster's Dictionary as the reason for which something is done or created for which something exists, right? So why do we exist? What is our purpose? Uh, what were we meant to do? Why were we created? And those are some pretty hard questions, but let's be honest. Most of us don't think past those things. Most of us are just trying to get through the next day <laughs> and the next day. And I don't blame anybody, right? The future always seems so far away. I think I heard it best on a movie one time, and they were going through their bucket list. And they were like, one day I'd like to do this. One, you know, Someday I'd like to do this. Someday I'd like to do this. Someday. And, he go, and, the, and the guy responds, someday. It's really just code for never. That's how we think sometimes about the future. We don't plan it out. We think these are great things. One day we'll do these things. One day. One day I'll start a ministry. One day I'll do this that God's called me to do. One day, once I get my stuff out of the way, then maybe I'll have time for the things that God has going But it all comes back. There is one thing that we know for sure, what, our purpose. Well, we know our purpose. Romans 8, 29. Romans 8, 29 says this, For those God foreknew, he predestined. Now, we get... I'm not finished there, but just, just to clarify, we get wrapped up in the predestined part, and we could get into a whole theology about that. But real quick, the, the, it's not a period right there. The sentence keeps going. What are we predestined to? Now, I want you, your mind starts to think about things like, well, my life this way, my life that way, and you apply it like that. But listen how Paul applied it. For, God, for those who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Pretty simple, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We have been predestined to be conformed unto the likeness of Jesus, the Son of God. We're, who are we supposed to be like? Jesus. Who are we supposed to model our lives after? Jesus. Who are we supposed to love like? Jesus. And maybe the better question that we really beg here is how does that happen? And how do we get here? How do how we get here? Let's say it's because it's simple. The only way that we conform unto the image of Christ is one way. Prayer. That's the only way. This is why it's so hard to pray. This is why everything is against you praying. Because if you pray, you're going to become the likeness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're hanging out with him, right? Listen, after almost 20 years, or, or more than 20 years now, we were talking about last night, 22 years. 22 years. This, is our, this November will be 23 for me and, and Joy as a couple. We grow closer every day to becoming more like each other. As weird as that is, Right? There were things that I didn't even like when I first met Joy. I didn't like guacamole. You know, you know, like when you're still young and you're still like, like you just don't eat foods because it looks a certain way. So I was in my 20s. I'm still just, you know, I'm not far from being a teenager. And guacamole's green. Come on. I know you girls who eat salads all the time. You're like, what? Yeah, but this guy didn't eat salad. Look at this figure. This is not a salad figure. Yeah, this is meat and potatoes. That's what that is. Growing up in the country, like all the time, meat and potatoes, you know? That's the stuff that we hate. I always remember this one dish, and it's funny now because now it's gross to me, but it was this dish my mom would make with sausage and potatoes covered in Velveeta. But she was like, what will you do? I had your dad and three boys, four guys in the house. Y'all don't like salads. This is what y'all liked. 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes, right? But it, like, at, as soon as I meet her, she's like, she loves all this stuff. You try this because you're in love. This is what you do. And you turns out like, hey, man, this guacamole is pretty good. Matter of fact, guacamole is so good, I probably have it every week. <laughs> True story, right? There were movies that I didn't like that she liked. You know how many times I've had to watch Pride and Prejudice? Oh, it's funny now. You're not the one having to sit through that torture. <laughs> right? But the more I spend time with her, the more I spend time with my kids, uh, even as a youth pastor, five or six years being a youth pastor, I never owned an Xbox or played video games until I became a youth pastor. I never really paid much attention to Star Wars or half of that other stuff. But the more I hung around uh, teenagers, the more stuff I liked. And I always enjoyed beating them at video games. <laughs> it's the competitive side in me, right? Uh, probably as much as they enjoyed beating me, you know, at video games and making me submit, right? But, and this is the thing. The more time I spent with my wife, the more time I spent with kids, the more I became like them, right? I, I, the more I, 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 I want to be what she wants me to be, the more I'm around her, uh, um, the more I appreciate uh, the level of our intimacy in our relationship, right? Like, like just the whole closeness that we have of telling each other secrets and, and knowing things about each other. And, and think about it. It's important. I have this conversation with her all the time. Like we have moments where some of our best moments are just when we're hanging out talking. You know, we used to have a saying that revolved around uh, a movie uh, where the saying was, you, me, and five bucks, because it was just enough money to go get a cup of coffee. Like, that was always going to be a date for us. If we had just had enough to go get a couple of cups of coffee, you know, nowadays it's you and me and like $12.85 or whatever. But, you know, inflation over the years, that was back in the 90s, guys, where you could buy a cup of coffee, two of them for five bucks, you know. And, but that's what we, we would always say that, you and me and five bucks, don't need anything more. Don't need anything else. Nothing flashy, nothing, anything else. Just you and me, right? And we could have that time where we talked and we enjoyed each other's friendship and, and uh, the fact of, and the more that grows, the better it gets, right? And so, uh, but here's the thing, like anything else, uh, not even joy can know what I'm thinking at any given moment. That's the truth. Joy can only know what, what I tell her, which leaves a, rot, a lot of room for darkness within our relationship because that's all she can know. She can only know what I tell her. So if I don't confess things to her, she's not going to know. And she's not going to think anything bad of me or anything like that, right? We, we learn this as teenagers, right? So we don't tell our parents stuff, so they always think good about us, right? And that, that inherits into every relationship, really. But this is why relationships are hard and require a massive amount of work to maintain trust and respect. However, with God, though, there is no darkness. There's nothing to hide. There isn't anywhere we can go. There isn't any way I'm able to keep anything from him, all right? He knows everything about me, and that's why I think we struggle in prayer. Because when we come to Jesus in prayer, all is exposed. We don't get to keep that secret. We don't get to say, Jesus, only see this side of me, right? I'm going to give you just this side, Jesus, so that you don't see the things that wouldn't make you proud. We don't get to do that, so we try to avoid it. Yeah, Jesus is my friend. Like I see him in town, my friend. <laughs> Not the guy that comes over to my house, because he comes to my house, he'll see how dirty my house is. Right? But in town, we'll see each other passing. He's that kind of friend, and, and that's not right, right? I think too often we focus on the latter. We allow ourselves to shame ourselves from the prayer closet. Right? 
It's as if we haven't read uh, Romans 8, 1. That there is no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Right? So what happens is we self-condemn and then we walk in self-condemnation. And we're too scared to approach Jesus. We allow guilt to sweep us up. We allow Satan to steal our joy and steal the abundant life right from us. Now, don't get me wrong. We can do a lot of this ourselves, but make no mistake. The devil has a vested interest in you not praying because he knows that what the world needs is Jesus and that the more you become like Jesus, the more he loses the battle. So, so the devil, listen, he's not, he, that's what he's interested in. He's interested in you. Are you going to pray? Because if not, you're really powerless. You're really, if you're not praying, you're, really power, you're, you're very powerless. You can, you're basically Christian in name, but not in deed. You, don't, you know Christ like you know you've heard of somebody. All of you probably heard the name Tim Tebow, but none of you know him. Oh, yeah, I know who Tim Tebow is. Yeah, but you don't know him. You know his name. You know what he does, but you don't know him, right? You know famous actors, but you don't really know them, right? Some people know Jesus, but they don't really know him, right? If you're not coming uh, to him in prayer, if you're not communicating with him, if you're not working or building your relationship with him, how are you going to change into the likeness of him? How are you going to fulfill your predestined purpose. You can tell who prays and who doesn't. Amen. It's easy. Look at the actions in their life. Now, we would say like, well, wait a minute. Not, you know, come on, there's grace. I, no, I get all that. Listen to the way people talk, too. Listen, people that hang out with Jesus talk a certain way. They act a certain way. They just do. People of prayer, people who spend time with Jesus, talk and act like Jesus the same way me and Joy will talk and act like, me, like the same people. Like, you know, I hear that same cliche out of your kids, or I hear that same thing, that same phrase you say is the same thing you're... you're like, I've heard Michael, literally Michael, uh, uh, say the same things that I say. And it's weird to hear the, the sayings that I say come out of his... Like him remind me of the very things I tell him. But you know what that's from? That's from hanging out with each other, right? So when I hang out with Jesus, you know who I sound like? I sound like Jesus. And when I hang out with, with somebody, if I, I hang out with my wife a lot, so who, who, where are we? We're always on the, about the same mindset as everything else. Why? Because we talk all the time. When I talk with Jesus all the time, I become like him, right? Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Their speech was that of Jesus. Their actions were that of Jesus. So the question we have to constantly ask ourselves is, does our speech line up with Christ? Do our actions line up with Christ? This is where prayer centers us. Prayer makes us not have to worry about what we say and what we do because we're hanging out with Jesus so much, it just is what we say and what we do. It becomes natural. It's natural. So this is where the confusion comes in. Like, well, just because someone talks a certain way and acts a certain way doesn't make them safe. That's true. That's true. But I'm going to tell you, if you're hanging out with Jesus, you're going to talk and act a certain way. That's biblical foundation stuff. The Bible preaches it. That these men who hung out with Jesus became like Jesus. The old cussing sailor of Peter becomes the man who leads revival in the book of Acts. Paul who had his life turned around 
His entire life is changed. Why? He, he goes from talking about murder and talking about the blasphemy of Christianity to preaching it and, and proclaiming its name. Why does that happen? Because the more time he spent with Christ, the greater truths unfolded from his life. His whole actions and demeanor changed. Where did that come from? Out of the blue? No. It happened. Like radically saved instantly. He encounters Jesus. We see that radicalness. But the testimony of the rest of his life is that of prayer. A man who was changed by spending time with Christ. Paul preached on prayer. If you are praying and you're being conformed under the image of God, you should be compelled to talk and do some things that Jesus liked to do. Things like loving others. Pretty simple. How about putting others before ourselves? That's not this uh, culture right now. Or worshiping the Lord. Or desiring good things. Seeking to help those that are hurting. These are all things, right? And the list goes on, right? I, I, I made a few, uh, a, a list myself just to cover a few things. Loving others looks like this. Helping new people feel accepted when they come to church. It's hard to do. Some people don't want to even meet anybody when they first arrive. I saw a, a, a poll the other day that said that's like one of the, the meet and greet was like the most terrifying thing for new people. Like turn around and shake their hand like, oh, this is awkward. We've got to meet new people now. I think that has to do a lot with our social media age where people talk now by text and never by voice anymore. So they don't know how to act in public now because they're used to doing it. They don't even act right with their friends. Their friends are next to them and they're texting. So this social thing that's happening right now, it, it's really a grand experiment on, the, on this young generation, but that's missing right now. So I think there's some struggle in the church, but we have responsibility to get up out of our comfort zone and welcome new people into our church. We don't want people to feel like an outcast. Everybody deserves a new beginning. Maybe one of the hardest things for me is talking with Pastor Harris, my, my, I would call him my pastor, got a dear friend that is losing his life right now. He's battling cancer, and if he makes it past the weekend, <laughs> that's going to be the first miracle. And, and uh, so I was talking to him, and he goes, you know, it's, it's hard being a rural pastor. You see all these kids, especially he talks about being there a long time. He goes, man, you've been there a long time now. I go, yes, sir. And he goes, it's hard, isn't it? And I go, yeah, wh wh which part? And he goes, well, that part where you see them as kids, and then you raise them up, and you've invested all this time and energy, and then you see them at the church <laughs> down the way. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. I can, that's so true. I don't talk about it in here, but it's hard to put so much time and energy into students and all the time and energy. I put 10 years into this place in Marble Falls to see so many kids. Now, don't get me wrong. I have to check my R here because I see a lot of these kids doing worship in other churches. I see a lot of these kids attending other churches. So I'm happy about those things, right? That's, that's things to be excited for. But there's a piece of me that still goes, why don't you come here? <laughs> you know, there's still that, right? Everybody needs a second chance. And sometimes what they're looking for, and I have to remind myself of this, right, is somebody that hadn't seen that other side of their life, right? They say a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, right? Because everybody's seen where he came from. They'll never receive him. Jesus was never accepted where he was from. Why? Because they saw him raise up like, man, this is, just, this is Mary's kid. Yeah, I remember when he was like this big. Man, he ain't no son of God. I saw him when he was this big. You know, like they're never going to believe it. And for some of these people, what a new church ends up doing is being a place where they get to start over. They get to walk into a place without preconceived notions about their life or any past history, and they can live forward. Praise God. 
Praise God, right? So we have to remember that some people coming in here, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a second chance, and everybody deserves one, right? Everybody deserves a second chance. Loving others also looks like this, actively helping the church, participating in the ministries, right? Because the church's only desire is to help people. It should be, shouldn't be self-serving. You know, do you really understand at times what we collectively do? It's not sit here and just, uh, yes, we enjoy the teaching of the Lord. Yes, we enjoy the worship of the Lord. Those are the perks of church, but the church was created uh, to stand against the gates of hell. Make no mistake, we rescue people from eternal death. That's what we do. We are a chain of bodies linked in the strength of Christ to reach down into the fire and pull people out. Are you hearing me? God doesn't need us, but he chooses to allow us to help in bringing people to their purpose. To their purpose. This, we, are, we get to share in the work of God. By his grace, we get a piece of that. We get to be a part of that. We are not the driving force, and it's through faith that he gave us. It's through grace that he bestows upon us, right? Salvation, which he's given us, right? So eventually, it's all his work. Make no mistake about it, but he lets us get to be hands and feet. He lets us get to get on on it. We get, we get to be a part of that, and that is awesome. That's awesome. That, and we need to remember that at times, what we are. We are not, I, I love, one, as one pastor said, this isn't the country club. This is church. We're not, what did he say? We're here to save souls, not soothe the saints, so that's, that's how it's supposed to be. We're here to save people, right? That's, that's part of what we do here. Loving others looks like realizing that our words and the things we're doing socially might be keeping other people from Jesus. This is probably the hardest one. It deals more maybe to a lot of younger crowd too. There's nothing worse than seeing people come to, to church actively and then seeing them like on social media or in public uh, uh, oblivious to the fact that what they're saying or what they might be doing or a picture they might be posting might be inappropriate. Nothing worse than that. You know, it's it just so contrary, right? This is where a lot of stuff in Christianity just gets chalked up to, to someone being a hypocrite, right? Which, as a matter of fact, one of the number one reasons why people don't come to church is that the church is full of hypocrites. You know my response to that kind of stuff? Believe me, I, you, know, you hear everything. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, so is the world. Like, have you watched politics? I mean, like, hey, who are you going to go vote for? I'm sure it's a hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine there's, I, I'm just looking at the political landscape right now. Uh, pretty sure it's most of it. Where, where are you going to go and not find a hypocrite? Where are you going to go and not find a liar? Where are you going to go and not find a fake person? Just tell me. Where is this euphoric place that you've hid away in that apparently you're safe there from all hypocrites, liars, fake people, uh, angry people? I'm just trying to figure this out. Just trying to figure it out. It's like saying, I don't, you know, come on, uh, we don't go to hospitals because sick people are there. Where are they supposed to go? Where are they supposed to go? That's my response usually, you know, is that whole idea. Like, of course, let me tell you what else you're going to find in the church. Thieves. That's true. I've met a few. Come in and out of the church stealing stuff too, man. Profess God one Sunday, steal from it the next. You know how many kids I've seen be the absolute cuss mouth in church? Honestly, we moved to Marble Falls from Terrell. Marble Falls felt like, man, this is the nicest community we've ever been to. Like, I don't think we maybe kicked out one kid in six years of youth. 
which that might sound like a lot, but in Terrell, it was like every, every Wednesday. I've called the cops on kids in Terrell. I had to ask the cops to escort people off the, the premises in Terrell. I'm not joking. Like, it was straight up gangster ministry. <laughs> yeah. Listen, it's, it's not easy, but the church is full of problems because pro the church says, listen, come all you who are weary, heavy laden, you who have problems, you who are messed up, you who are tormented, uh, you who are spiritually afflicted, you who have issues and, and, and all kinds of, we want you to come. There is a place for you here. And the expectation is that some of you are praying and being conformed unto the image or the likeness of Jesus so that you can handle the issues when they come in, which is what? Give grace and love. It's what Jesus did for you. Man, I, I look back at, at <laughs> man, uh, um, so I wasn't saved when I met Joy, and the biggest problem that they had, I remember the first uh, couple of weeks to come in the church, it was like, listen, you got to quit uh, putting your arm around her so much and rubbing her shoulder and everything. Like, there's a little too much PDA going on. And I'm like, well, it's my girlfriend. I mean, like, you know, like, eh, you can focus on Jesus while you're in here. And I'm like, uh, I am. This is, both of these things are happening at the same, you know, like, I like, they tolerated it. Nobody beat me up, Right. I know when we went to Washington, I'm like still like I'm 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 saved kinda, I guess, and grace is kind of like carrying me because I go into Washington at First Assembly of God there, and I'm not far by any means, like full on, like I'm gonna live for you, God. That whole moment where I pray and say, God, I'm gonna quit everything hadn't happened yet. So I'm still getting high a little bit, and I would and and I think nobody complained because I just showed up more than everybody else, right? So all, all those people are like, I've been in church 20 years, yeah, but I come more than you. I'm like in church every time the door opens. So you know what you are? Guilty around me. Because <laughs> apparently I love Jesus more than you because I show up more than you do. Oh, yeah, you missed like three Sundays this month. I never miss. I'm here three days a week. And high. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, nobody guilt tripped me. Nobody did. Can I tell you that's the grace of God? Because I never felt unwanted. So I look back at those guys who never said a word, right? That, that was my reasoning. I felt like this probably because they felt guilty because I came more than they did, right? <laughs> you can tell the Pharisee spirit. You just want you, want you like more Pharisee than the Pharisee. Then there's nothing to talk about. And, 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 but the grace of God was at work, right? And I was able to find myself in, in that thing. And, and, and even though I was the hypocrite, I'm coming to church, but I'm not acting like full on like Jesus, but I'm coming to church. I do know this, that that was the one place where I could find change. And it was the one place where people would at least allow me the space to change. And I don't know how I escaped some of the things that some of the people found in church. Like, yeah, but I found that church was this way. I think that I think I was just so much more focused on my own experience that I didn't think about what people were saying about me, which I'm sure they were. And I purposely avoided hearing about it. Because I didn't really care. What I did know is Jesus was real. And that experience that was going to drive me to my knees, that prayer, some of you have heard that when I talked about, you know, the Lord answering me in prayer about rent uh, one time. That was legit. I mean, when I prayed that, everything stopped. Like the whole quit getting high, all that stopped. And my life was radically shifted.
because God did a miracle for me. And God saw my heart, and he knew that I was trying. And his grace sustained me. You know, you know where hypocrites turn straight? In the church. You know where liars start telling become truthful men of integrity? In the church. Right? How does that happen? Through the purpose. When we pray, we become conformed unto the image of Jesus Christ. Right? It's not because I choose to tell the truth. No, it's the more I hang out with Jesus, the more I end up like him. And the longer I hang out with Jesus, the more I'm like him. I talk like him. I act like him. I'm a man of integrity now. Now I'm scared to death. I'm scared of lying. Any of you like that yet? I'm terrified of it. Like, I'm, I'm terrified to lie about anything. Like, I can feel it. Like, when my heart wants to, my face starts to go flush. I'm like, it's dumb. Don't say something stupid. Tell the truth. As embarrassing as the truth may be, just tell it. Like, don't lose your integrity. Like, I, like I, and now I see it, like, when I see it in other people, especially, you know, working a 40-hour-a-week job where you work and you see other people work and you see people lie over dumb stuff. Like, did you just take a bag of ice? No. Or how about this? this was one that really did happen. I was like, do you have anybody else in your car? No, there's nobody in there. I can see two people. I was like, are you sure? Yeah, dude, there's nobody in my car. I'm going to go out and take a look. Yeah, come on, look. I don't know what he was thinking. I walk out there. It's like there's two people in there. He goes, oh, my bad. I was like, and by the way, the child was so small, it wouldn't have cost me anything. We're talking 15 bucks he was lying about. And I was like, that's what it costs for you to lie. $15 is all your integrity's worth. Golly, it's amazing to me how little people value being a person of truth. Oh, now I guarantee you, this is, these are life lessons for me. Because I turn around and go, no, I got to tell the truth. Like, if, 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 you know, this is where people start saying, like, for a million dollars, would you lie? Well, a million dollars. <laughs> no, no, my integrity's worth higher than that. You know, and I have to tell myself, come on, everybody has that, right? Okay, it's only me. <laughs> Loving others looks like forgiving everyone that has ever said something they shouldn't have or done something they regret. Amen. It's realizing that we all make mistakes and we all have seasons where we run rather than hide or we advance, you know, uh, uh, when we run and hide when, rather than advance and fight. Not all the times are we the warrior. I would love to say that that would me all the time. All the time I've stood my ground and fought for everything. I'm going to tell you right now, there are things in my life I've ran from for 20 years. God has forced me in the last couple of years to deal with some things, especially in the military. There were things I've been, uh, I love my, the psychologist who diagnosed me with PTSD, go figure, that makes a lot more sense now with my life, uh, who said, uh, I said, you know what, I was telling him everything, and I go through these stories, and I'm kind of cried up a little bit, some things I had to tell him, and you know, just being 19 again, and I hate reliving my 19-year-old time, especially being in combat and stuff, I hate reliving it, and, and I was like, but I'm totally fine, you know, like, I'm totally fine now, and, uh, and he's like, no, I was like, well, it's pretty much the past. He goes, nah, you've, what you've done is repressed it. That's what you've done. You've like collected it, put it in a box, shoved it in the back of the garage there, and it just sits back there. I'm like, yeah, it's perfectly fine back there, doc. And he's like, yeah, but that's not healed. That's not made whole, right? right? There are things in my life that I've done that way where I've gone, I'm not going to deal with that part of my life. I'm going to move on. But the problem is God goes, no, we're going to deal with it. I'm going to be graceful enough right now to allow you to get strong enough to deal with it. And I honestly believe, like looking back in reflection, like God waited 20 years to force me to find reconciliation with this part of my past. Cool move on God. Totally need to see how it works out and play. 
Um, and God did a lot of work there. It's pretty, pretty amazing in that sense. And, and, and this is the thing, man, we have to remember. Sometimes we're not as strong as we think we are, and sometimes others aren't as well. God takes his time with some people. Some people like me need more time than others. Right? God gave me a space to grow in the church, and he guarded me and allowed me the opportunity to grow. Because otherwise, I'm sure if some sharper things would have been said to me, I might not have been handling it as well. Uh, I think maybe some people were just scared to talk to me, and that might be true too. But God does take his time, and he is more sensitive with people who need that sensitivity, and I, and I guarantee I was one of those, right? We are to be a people of love, kindness, grace, and forgiveness all the time to everyone. To everyone. This is, again, why we pray. We pray to become like Jesus, who was all of these things. And none of this is going to be easy. That's why we have to pray. It's not an option. Hey, you should pray. No, it's you must pray. There will always be some that just quit in life. Bothers me to no end. There will always be some that just quit. They'll quit their jobs when their jobs get tough. Come on. Up until the Marine Corps, I never had a job past two weeks. Frustrated my parents as all get out. It took some stern discipline, a good kick in the butt to get me going. Right? There's some that just, they quit when, when things get hard. They, 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 that, that's why they never in, develop their visions. They never develop their dreams because as soon as anything gets difficult, they're done, right? They quit church when that gets tough, right? Well, it's got hard. I'm, I'm not working well with other people. Then the Bible says forgive them. Well, that's too hard. Well, welcome to the world. Everything's hard. Those are not, that's not good excuses. Well, I'm not ready. Okay, better find time ready. But if you're praying with the Lord and you're... What I think I have found out, even sometime, to, there was one time there was this worship pastor that I struggled with. I just struggled, didn't like his leadership. I'm on the worship team. I didn't like his leadership. I didn't like the music he played. I didn't like anything about him. Right? And I go to, the, I go to my mentor and I'm like, all right, so like, I don't, I'm so unhappy. And he was like, you got two things. You should start praying for him, number one. Pray, start praying for him. He goes, just, just start here or you're going to have to get off the team because he's the leader. I was like, okay. So I start praying for him. And the, the irony is we've ended up becoming really good friends. Good night, the Lord, I swear. You know, that's how it works. I couldn't find tolerance until I started praying for him. And that, that, he didn't change, guys. I did. Maybe that's the reason we don't pray, too. Because we know pray doesn't change the person we want to change. It ends up changing us. Right? Prayer changed me. Made me love this guy. We ended up, I took him fishing. We went to a Dallas football, uh, watched Dallas Cowboy game one time. It was awesome. And uh, was, oh, that's another story for another time. Uh, uh, but just, just, I mean, he just changed my heart on the whole thing. Uh, it's amazing what God does, right? But there'll be people that quit church when it gets tough. But listen, I'm telling you, I'm here today to say that ain't you. That ain't you. Uh, uh, let me share with you a prayer that Jesus prayed over his disciples. And it's the same prayer he prays over you today. John 17 says this. John 17, verse 8 says, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those, those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, 
so that they will be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it sanctify them by the truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world i have sent them into the world for i sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified this was the prayer he prayed right before he goes to the cross he said i pray for them i'm not praying for the world but for those you have given me for they're yours this is what it means to be a friend this is what relationship looks like He prays for you. You are the ones that God has given him. No, this is not just the 12. This is also you. He prays for the ones that God has given them. That is you. Right? His overarching prayer for you is that you be sanctified by the truth. And what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. It means to be declared holy. It is the process of confirmation. It is. It's the process of transformation. Same thing, being conformed, being transformed. It's a binding action where we're purified and free from sin. It is literally to be in Christ. This is why we pray, right? And this is why Christ prays over us. When we approach him in prayer, this is the process what he is taking us through. Our lips are being cleaned. Thus, our speech changes and the way we talk changes. Our heart is being washed when we pray. Thus, our actions shift and we become the hands and feet of Jesus. Our soul is conformed unto the image of Jesus so that one day when the Father looks down on us, right, we receive the angel's welcome, right, of being praise and honor and glory and and the shouts and everything that's going on. We receive that because we have been conformed now into the likeness of his son. The work is over, right, and we can be received. Prayer is more than just words. It's more. It is the art of conforming. It is the art of letting go to our will and embracing His so that you'll be able to say, as Jesus commanded in the Lord's Prayer, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, where we fully trust and we fully rest and we fully live in joy through the Lord, right? Uh, Well, our circumstances are horrible. The climate right now and the culture right now and everything that's going on, it doesn't matter. I'm talking with Jesus all the time. He's like pretty good to go. I don't, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but Jesus is like super happy still. Like, it's weird to us. Like, Jesus, you don't know what's going on? He's like, yeah, but come on, I'm God. Like, you know, yeah, but my, I've got a buddy that's got cancer, but I can heal cancer. Also, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? He comes up here with me? Is that so bad? Well, no, but I mean, you know, like, I'll miss him. Yeah, but it ain't all about you, Jim. Oh, we're fleshing that out now, aren't we? Right? This is what happens when we talk back and forth. This conversation begins to take place in the Holy Spirit, and we start to rationalize the truth of who He is. I can live in joy because Jesus is joyful. It's hard to be around somebody who's happy all the time and not be happy. It just is. Like your Debbie Downer never gets to Him. God, but you just don't understand how bad it is. Listen, I get it. You're not the, like, have you read the Bible? Have you seen how bad some of these people's lives are? You live in America, guys. Come on. 
Your worst problem is usually self-induced, okay? Come on. Let's just be honest. Jesus is happy all the time, so you get to live in joy. You know why you have hope? Because he is always hopeful. (laughs) Why? Because he's already written the end. Like, hey, this whole thing ends good. You know that, right? Like, oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? (laughs) I keep living like this story is going to end in doom, but it doesn't. It doesn't. I can be happy. I can be joyful. Even when everything's crumbling around me. Why? Because the Lord is. You know, we win, right? Like, it's okay, right? Like, listen, uh, I love in Hebrews, in in, uh, chapter 11, it talks about all those great men and women of faith, but it gets to the bottom. It says there was all these people that never saw the good things that were promised, but they still believed. And you know what God says about them? He records them as being too good for this world. These were the people who stayed happy and hopeful in a time and a season where nothing was happy and hopeful. And he said, these people were too good for this world. So I just took them. They were better off with me anyway. Nobody appreciated them. They thought they were crazy. It's true. This is, this is part of it, man. It's more than worth. My friend Kevin, he was on the right track. Can you imagine that ministry calling that he had? Like, I want to return the house of God back into the house of prayer. And he knew everything he was facing. Knowing the attitude towards prayer in church and how difficult it is to get people in prayer. Can you imagine how much courage it must have took to go, hey, I'm going to quit my regular job and pursue this call that God has on me. I can imagine some of his friends going right now, that's not smart. Bro, you're like almost 50. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but that's kind of a late start in ministry. I love B.H. Clendenin, who became a great and powerful minister. I don't even think he got saved until he was like 56. Or Smith Wigglesworth was a late-in-life bloomer. Did y'all know that? Like, he was a late-in-life kind of guy. A lot of men get called late-in-life. But this is, Kevin, he's, to me, he was a bold. He was a visionary. He was crazy. I mean, I thought, like, I remember telling Joy uh, in the car going, man, I think this guy's ministry is, like, the key. Like, if this, if, if, if this is going to be, if he can do what God's calling him to do, I might actually see revival in my life, which if you know me, you've heard me say this before. That's the one thing I'm hanging on to, like by a thread, I'm hanging on to it, that I'm going to see revival in my time. A a full on like Welsh Azusa revival, not like one church goes in revival thing and they planned it at seven o'clock. I'm talking like the whole city goes up in a roar. Like everybody and everybody's job places are starting to change and we're just singing hymns in the, in the stores when we go in. Like I loved in the Welsh Revival, in the book I saw the Welsh Revival, he talks about how the cops were singing hymns as they go down the street. He says the coal miners were singing hymns and they said, oh man, if the coal miners are singing hymns, it must be for real. Because these guys got a sailor's mouth. Woo! They exchanged the cuss words for biblical words and beautiful singing and all of a sudden the City by city by city. And when I say city, I mean every church in town went into revival. Man, that's the kind of stuff. So I, I remember telling uh, Joy, I said, he just spent all this time. I said, man, the devil's going to be on that guy's tracks. Because if there's anything that he needs to stop, he better stop the prayer. Because if the, if, the, if the house gets unified under prayer, there's powers in the prayer. Don't believe me. Look at John the Baptist. He went into the desert and he came out with what? Power. Jesus went into the desert. Who did he meet out there? The devil. But what did he come out with? The power. The power, right? So I was like, man, 
I, I, I think the devil's going to be hot on this guy. Can I tell you, it wasn't maybe six months later. Isn't that right, Joy? Maybe six months. He was diagnosed with cancer. Diagnosed with cancer. And it wasn't long maybe after that that he died. And nobody was going to take up that mantle. And it was uh, 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 such a sad thing for me. And, and what I loved about it is that even as he drew skinnier and cancer was eating him up and taking him, he still preached till he couldn't preach on it anymore. And he continued hammering the drum of prayer. He was a prophet in the land. That's what he was. God had called the man who was listening, a man like Ananias in Acts. He had called him in there. He said, no, I know nobody knows you. Oh, you're an unknown child. I know that. Nobody might ever know you, but I know you. I'm going to give you this vision for your life. And this is going to be what you do. This is your great and lasting work to spark, to spark something back in people towards being the house of prayer once more. God's given, listen, God calls us the bride, the church, and there's a lot of other names. But can I tell you, Jesus proclaimed us as the house of prayer. He got mad when we sold and bought things in the church. He got mad the way we treated the temple. He got mad at a lot of things in that area. The only time we see him actually being physically aggressive with the church is when it wasn't being the house of prayer. When it wasn't being the house of prayer. I miss my friend. If I'm going to be honest, I envied him. I envied his ministry. I envied his vision. And But I, I'm going to be truthful. I don't know that I could have handled it. I want to make us the house of prayer, but it's hard. It's hard because I know prayer isn't popular. I mean, right now we get up at uh, 4.30 at my house on Monday so we can be here by 5 o'clock and pray between 5 and 6. There's a little complaining that goes on there. <laughs> between the both of us, I think. <laughs> Let's just be honest there. It's hard. It's not always fun. I'm going to move it up a little bit when we get into the summer, but still keep it before 8 o'clock. But, <laughs> but I am going to drive us towards our knees. We spent the first year talking about the Holy Spirit, and then we moved into prayer. That's not coincidence. This is where the Lord wants us. This is where the Lord wants us. Oh, we are few, but I'm going to tell you something. Gideon won. He thought he needed numbers to win the battle. That's a lie. That's a lie. Right? Numbers don't win the battle people of God do. Not even violence wins the battle. They blew trumpets around Jericho. Some of us just need a good old-fashioned Jericho march again. Some of us need to remember where that was that lied within us, that place where we first met the Lord. Those times at the altars, those times when we're quiet, those are some of the best moments that we ever have. And we think, well, it doesn't really do anything. I'm just really sitting here just talking to the Lord. How's that ever going to do anything? Because that is what does everything. It's the Lord that engages everybody. It's the Lord that brings people out of nowhere. You ever had that kind of person come to you like in church or say, you know, man, God's really given me a word for you or, or you ever, I've met people on the street one time. I was doing street ministry back in my early days and they, uh, I met this guy, this Hispanic guy comes up. He looked homeless. He goes, yeah, man, let me help you pray. And he, he prays and he begins praying in tongues. And all I'm like, this guy spoke with the tongues of angels. But as soon as he was there, we closed our eyes and we're praying. And I could hear his voice praying the whole time. And when he said, amen, I, amen, open my eyes and he's not there anymore. Well, what is that? I mean, I didn't see no little homeless guy running off. You know, I didn't see anything. Like, is this guy an angel? Because he sure did sound like one. He didn't act like a homeless guy, though he looked like one. These are the experiences we have with the Lord. 
And when we pray, God sends all sorts of things, even homeless angels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds crazy, I know. There's a reason it's difficult for us to pray. And I promise you, it isn't just your flesh nagging at you about the discomfort of prayer. It's also the enemy. If the enemy was willing to pester Jesus when he went away to fast and pray in the desert, don't you think he'd do that to you too? Let's not be naive. But also, let's remember, Jesus overcame him. And through Christ, you will too. Let's worship.
in your presence is where we find love. And it's because you are so wonderful, Lord. You are so kind and so good and so faithful.